starting a brand new series today um, called Stepping uh, Deeper into Faith. And um, this, whole, this whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is on faith, and we're going to use this as kind of our, our, uh, our foundation as we walk through um, this, this next series here and looking at the different aspects of what is uh, godly faith, biblical faith, and how do we continue to walk in that together, take further steps in that as believers. And so we want to, to dive in that today just with the first three verses, verses one through three, um, talking about how faith walks. And uh, the goal here is just kind of lay a foundation for the rest of the series that we're going to be looking at. So as I was preparing this week, I, you know, I was thinking about faith. Faith can be a, a very delicate thing at times, especially if it's shaken uh, or broken in some way. I remember a few years back, um, we took our girls to Silver Dollar City for the first time. We have three girls in our family, three daughters. And um, so we go to Silver Dollar City, and I, I love to ride roller coasters. That's like a, a joy of mine when we go to these places. And we used to ride them together, my wife and I. And as, as we've gotten older, she doesn't really like them so much anymore. And so, uh, so I'm trying to get our girls, like, trained up to go with me, right? And so, like, you got you to gotta do this. And so they, they agreed reluctantly, but they agreed that day to try some roller coasters with Dad. And so we, uh, we started small, right? We started with the little kitty coaster, and then we got to, to uh, fire in the hole. I don't know how many Silver Dollar City people we have around here, but did fire in the hole. And then we did Thunderation, which was a little bit, you know, step up from that. And then the next one on the list was Powder Keg. Um, and it was kind of the next one. So I told them, like, it's, it's a little bit faster, but it doesn't go upside down, so you're going to be okay. And they're like, all right, we'll give it a try. And so we make our way over to Powder Keg, and we get in line. And, and it's the first time I'd ever rode Powder Keg as well. I just kind of read the description online. And I didn't know that it was one of those coasters that kind of like shoots you out from like zero to 60 in three seconds at the beginning, right? Like it doesn't start off nice and slow, it just, you're out of there. And so we get in, they, they load us up, and, and they, it kind of, you hear it go, and then you're out, you're out the door, right? And as soon as we take off, all I hear is wailing and crying and screaming like someone is cutting their arms off of them. And, and the problem was it's only two seats, and so I'm here, and they're in front, the row in front of me together with these big restraints on. I can't reach them. I can't get to them. And so they're just screaming and crying and wailing the entire ride, which felt like an hour. I'm sure it was like two minutes, but they're just going on, and I can't get to them. I can't help them. And so we finally get done, and we get off the ride, and they were like, you lied to us. That was horrible. I used to say they did not have a whole lot of faith in dad's word anymore when it came to roller coasters for a while, right? Like I had broken that, it was gone, the trust was, was now uh, obliterated by powder keg. And so um, I, I, think, I think a lot of people find themselves in that same position with God sometimes. Something happens in their life, something happens around them that shakes their faith or breaks their faith in God. Maybe they're angry at God because of he, they feel like he let them down or hurt them in some way in their life. Maybe they, they think God that, you know, was going to betray them like so-and-so did when I trusted that person. And God's just going to act like they will and break that trust. Sometimes it's just a matter of um, just pride, right? Like sometimes we only trust ourselves. We don't trust anybody else, especially the person we can't see that's somewhere off in the distance. Or sometimes we just lack the faith to, to follow God or trust God simply because we're blinded by our own sin, our own sinful past, our own sinful desires, and that blocks that opportunity for faith. And because you see, the, the key to understanding faith is faith always depends on 
your view of what your faith is in, right? How you view that person or that thing, what you think about them, how you understand them, how you see them delineates what your faith will be towards that person or towards that object. And so if we want to experience deeper levels of faith with God, it starts by us getting a better look, a closer look at who God is and understanding the greatness of our God and his character and his goodness is the first step in stepping deeper into faith. And so I want to try to do that with you over this series over the next several weeks through the book or through the chapter of Hebrews 11. To step deeper into faith, I need a higher view of God. That's going to be kind of our main thought for this morning, but also really for this whole series. That to step deeper into faith with God, I need a higher view of who he is. And so let's look at the first three verses here as the writer of Hebrews kind of lays that foundation for us to get started. He starts off, he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the first point this morning is simply this. Faith walks with God. Faith walks with God in its most basic format. So Hebrews here, if you, if, I'm going to give you some context, right? So the whole book of Hebrews when you read through it, the focus of faith in Hebrews is not so much on like faith, like do you have faith, do you believe this, but it's more on the life of faith, right? How is faith impacting how you live on a daily basis? That's really the emphasis here in the book of Hebrews and in chapter 11. Hebrews thinks about faith as a response to who God is, right? It's, it's the way that I live, not just the way that I think, Right? So that's what we're going to be pressing on here. And so I, I came across this verse this week, again, that I thought was really helpful for this idea. And it's Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And so the prophet here, he's making this, this comparison, right? Where he's saying, listen, for those of us who are humans, those of us who are men and women who have a sinful nature, our natural tendency is to be puffed up. Right? To be prideful. We get stuck in our own selves and our own things and our own thoughts. He says, but the man who is puffed up as prideful is not upright before the Lord. We don't have right standing with God because when I'm prideful, then all my faith is in myself. And I'm not trusting in God. So therefore, I'm walking and I'm living for myself and not for the Lord because I'm puffed up. He says, but in contrast to that, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteous, those who have been made righteous, who have been saved from their sin by Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice, and have been given his righteousness because of their faith in him, the righteous, he says, shall live by faith. Because once I understand that the only righteousness I have, the only chance I have, the only good things in me come from God, then I'm no longer trusting in myself. I'm only trusting in him. And now I can walk, not according to myself, not according to my own ideas, but according to my faith in who God is and what he's called me to do. In other words, walking by faith, living by faith is living as if God is really God. How many times do we say that God is God, but then we live 
like we're God. Right? Walking by faith, living by faith is living like God really is God and putting our trust in him alone. So if we're going to be talking about faith here for these next several weeks, I want to make sure that we all have a good biblical foundation for what faith is. I think sometimes we get confused, we get sideways on what faith is and what it's not. So I'm going to give you five statements with some scripture just to give a basic foundation, a basic ground level of what is faith. So number one, faith is a gift from God, not an achievement of man. Faith is a gift from God, not an achievement of man. Let me give you a verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Probably familiar with that. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. In other words, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, when we have faith in the Lord, it's because he has revealed himself to us and he has gifted to us the ability to respond in faith. We don't create it. We don't choose faith for ourselves. It's not something that we make. It's a gift that we receive from the Lord. And our job is to receive it and then walk our lives in response to it. In response to who he is. So first of all, it's a gift from the Lord. Number two, faith is a result of hearing, not speaking. Faith is a result of hearing, not speaking. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in other words, as I hear God's word, as I hear what he says, not what I say, but as I hear what he says, then that gives me faith to believe that what he says is true. One mistake that sometimes Christians make is thinking that faith is comprised of speaking. That if I just speak it into existence, right? If I just believe enough, and if I just say it out loud, and if I just pray it enough times, then God has to do it because I have faith to believe that he's going to do what I ask. He's going to meet my desires. He's going to meet my demands. That is nowhere in Scripture. Faith is not about believing our words. Faith is about believing God's words. And so it comes through hearing what he says, not what we say, that is what is true. That is what will come to pass. So it's, faith is a result of hearing. Number three, faith is as strong as the object, not the person. Faith is as strong as the object, not the person. Here's what I mean by that. Listen to Isaiah 12, 2. It says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, in other words, I will have faith. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The strength of my trust, the strength of my faith does not come from me, it comes from the Lord, the object of my faith. Again, sometimes you'll hear Christians, unfortunately you'll even hear pastors at times who will say things like this, if you just had more faith, then you could do this, or you could do that. Or if you just had more faith, then this would happen or that would happen. As if the strength of your faith and the results of your faith are dependent on how strong you are. What you bring to the table. But here we see that the strength of faith never comes from us. The strength of faith comes from the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. His strength in us. If we have a weak object 
of faith, like ourselves, if your faith is in yourself to just believe enough or say it enough or pray it enough, then you're going to have weak faith because you're weak. But if your faith is in the Lord in a strong object like God himself, then your faith is going to be strong because it's coming from him, not from us. Number four, faith is about quality, not quantity. Faith is about quality, not quantity. Luke 17, 5 says it this way. He says, uh, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, which is great, right? Like, that seems like a very reasonable request, right? If you were a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, like, hey, I want to have more faith. Like, I want to I do this faith thing better, Jesus. Increase my faith, please. But look at Jesus' response. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. If you had faith as small as the smallest seed that we have, you could say to a tree, get some legs and start walking, and it would do it. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. His response here is like, listen, you don't need more faith. It's not about the amount of your faith. Faith isn't a, a commodity that's sold by the pound if you just do the right religious acts that God will give you more of it. Faith is about an experience of a greater and deeper way of knowing and relating to and walking with God. It's about the quality of your relationship with him. And the closer you are to God, the more faith will grow in your heart because you get a better view of who he is. It's about the quality of your relationship, not the quantity of what you're trying to muster up. And then lastly, faith is walking with God, not with the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes, for we walk by faith, not by sight. All right, it's, again, a commonly referenced verse around the church and around Christianity. But I think a lot of times we misunderstand what Paul's saying there. He's not juxtaposing faith and sight as if they're two separate things. Right? He doesn't mean that to walk in faith means that you always have to walk blind, as if you don't know what you're doing or don't know where you're going and everything's just a mystery. What he means is faith is walking with spiritual sight rather than physical sight. It's with my eyes on the Lord and on his ways and on his word rather than on my physical eyes set on the things of this world and on myself. I'm still seeing, I'm still perceiving, but I'm looking through spiritual lenses to see what God has rather than what man has for my life and for this world. So it's walking with God, not with the world. And so when we put these five things together and we think about what faith is in its totality, it really much drives us back to this idea of that faith is something that we walk out, something that we live, not just something that we think. Jesus references this when he tells his disciples, hey, a verbal claim to faith is not enough. Simply saying it is not enough. In Matthew 7, 21, he tells him, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When he says there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, he's referencing there with that repeated Lord that someone who would confess with their mouth that yes, he is the Messiah, right? That he is God, that he is the Savior, he says, not everyone who says they believe that I'm the Messiah or Savior is going to make it to heaven, which is a pretty shocking statement. However, he says, 
And he says later on they won't make it to heaven because he never knew them. He goes back to relationship. But then he says this, however, those who follow Jesus, who follow God's will, are the ones who have true faith and will enter the kingdom. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying that you earn entry through faith, right? You don't earn your faith by doing certain things for God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if your faith is genuine, you will live like this. This will be the proof that you truly have faith in me. You know, likewise today, there are many people who go to church. There are people who are probably in this room right now who go to our church who think they have faith. They think going to church is enough. They think being part of a certain denomination is enough or praying this certain prayer or just saying that they, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And they think that that mental assent or that, that verbal claim is enough to save them and to give them true biblical faith. But Jesus says that's not it. It's more than that. Faith is more than just thinking or speaking about Jesus. If your faith is real, it will change the way you live. It will reorient your entire life around the person that you say you have faith in. Faith is not just talk. It changes how I walk. Faith walks. That's been our whole theme this year, right? Take a step. That we walk out our lives in response to who God is. That is the evidence of true saving faith. So with that kind of foundation for what faith is, let's see the two things here that we see in these first three verses about faith. Go back to verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard that verse before. It's a really common verse. You'll see it on the coffee mugs and the t-shirts and plaques on your wall or whatever the thing is, right? I've grown up in church almost my entire life, and I'll just be honest with you this morning. I thought I understood this verse until I started studying it more this week. And there's some nuances to this that I didn't have before this week. And so, I don't know if you're, if you're like, like, oh, yeah, I know that verse. I'm good. Don't, don't tune out this morning, okay? I think there might be something fresh for us today from God's word. Do you believe that? Come on. Do you believe that? All right, good. So there's two things here that I want you to see. Number one, faith walks in light of God's power. In light of God's power. There's two really key words here in verse one, assurance and conviction. And what's interesting here is these words are very difficult to translate from the Greek to the English. Right? Like every commentary I read, it's like, man, these are like some hard ones to deal with, especially in the context of Hebrews chapter 11, which is why if you go look at several different translations, you'll see several different words for these right here, okay? But it's extremely important that we get these right because they are the key verses to get this set up for this whole chapter. And so I'm going to deal with the second one first and then come back and deal with the first one after that, okay? So I'm going to kind of do them in reverse order here and you'll see why. So the first word here, the second word is conviction. And if you go to the Greek there, I think it, it seems to, to be translated better as evidence or proof. If you remember like the old King James Version, that's what it said. It said that it was the evidence of things not, or the evidence of things hoped for. Or no, I'm sorry, the evidence of things not seen. Because this word in the Greek is more about objective reality than it is about subjective feelings, Right? It's about seeing something objective in the world, evidence or proof 
that something exists, where the word conviction for us seems more like a subjective, like I feel conviction about this, right? It's a feeling that I have. But it's not really what the Greek is about. It's an, an objective type of term here, okay? And we see that not only in its context with other Greek writings of the time, but also in the illustration of this word in verse 3. All right, so let's go down there in just a second. But he says, it's a conviction of things not seen. So things not seen here is referring to spiritual realities. The spiritual realm that we can't see with our physical eyes, right? But we know it exists, right? It's very clearly operating all around us on a regular basis. And so when he says the things not seen, he's talking about, he's talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about the things of God, the things that God does, the work of God's hands that we can't always see. Not the natural world, but the supernatural world. So then think with me for a second here. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive today. I hope that's okay. Okay, just stay with me. How is faith evidence? Better yet, how is faith evidence of things that we can't see? Like that seems opposite, doesn't it, to us? Right? Don't, don't you usually think that you need evidence for faith? And you need evidence to prove the things that you can't see? But here, the Hebrew Hebrews, he's saying that faith is evidence. So to understand what he's saying, let's look down at verse 3. This is the illustration that he gives for the evidence of things not seen. Verse 3, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible or unseen. Right? So you see the connection here from verse 1 to 3? He's talking about faith. He's talking about these things that are unseen again. And so here's the question for verse 3. How do we understand, right? That's what he says. By faith we understand. How do we understand or know that God created the universe, the things that are seen, by merely his words that are unseen? Like how do we know that that's true? No one was there. Right? There wasn't a human present when God created everything to vouch for, yeah, that's what happened. None of us were there. Furthermore, even if we were there, you can't see God's words. <laughs> so you still couldn't see that that's the way it worked out. You couldn't see that that's what happened just by our human observation. So how can we possibly understand, how can we possibly know that this account of creation is indeed true? Well, the writer of Hebrews says we can know by faith, by evidence. This is why the word evidence makes more sense in verse 1 than conviction. Because if I said to you, you can know that it's true because I believe that it's true. Like already in your brains, you're like, that's not a logical conclusion. That doesn't, like, that's not the way that works. You can't just say it's true because you believe it. But that's not what the writer's saying. He's saying it's true because faith is the evidence of it, the objective evidence. So how then is faith evidence, especially of creation? For that, we need to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes this. He says, for his, God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, things that you cannot see, have been clearly perceived. Another word for seen 
have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world, there's creation, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so Paul's argument here is that, in other words, creation itself points to the existence and the reality that there is indeed a creator. Right? That that is the evidence, that faith is the spiritual seeing, faith is the perceiving of the fingerprints of God on creation itself. And so we're able to see the things that are unseen, God's work, by looking at what he made, the things that are seen. We see evidence of him in creation through its order, and through its beauty, and through its greatness, and through its irreducible complexity that could not have been happenstance over time and other scientific ideas. All things... All these things, the beauty, the greatness, all of it, it can only come from a purposeful, intelligent creator that existed before and above creation. And so both the existence of creation, that it is here that we can see it and touch it and smell it and feel it, and our perception of it, that we can see it ourselves and see that it's true, serves as the evidence that God exists, the evidence of faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Now, I know that was kind of like a lot of logical following there for a minute. Okay, so let me just kind of give you a practical example or maybe kind of bring this together. So if, if someone was to ask you, how do you know that the arch is located in St. Louis? Right? How can you prove that? How, how do you know that the arch is here? Well, you would say, well, because first of all, it exists, right? Like, it, like it's, it's a tangible object. You can go, you can touch it, you can feel it. You can, but it's not just that. Not only that it exists, but that I see it. Every time I drive anywhere in the city heading downtown, it pops up over the horizon, and I see that it is there. And it's not just its existence that proves, it's also my seeing of the existence that proves it to me that it exists, right? If you'd never come to St. Louis, if you lived in some other part of the world, and you'd never seen the arch, but somebody told you it was there, you'd be like, maybe. But then when I see it, then I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. I, yeah, it's here. Sure enough, right? So the seeing is part of the evidence. Is that making sense? Right? It, it plays together with the existence um, another example. You guys remember those magic eye posters that were like all the rage back in the 90s? Those of you who were alive then? Um, so like, like I remember these pictures and, and at one level they're one thing, but at another level there's something completely different, right? At first glance it looks like it's just this garbled re repetition of some random image, right? But when you look closer, when you let your eyes focus more deeply, you're all trying to do it right now, you're not going to be able to do it from that distance, you can't see it that far away, when you are able to focus more deeply on the picture, then something else comes to life, doesn't it, right, a car, or Beethoven, or a T-Rex, or you know, whatever the thing is, right? like it, it pops, like, and it's so vivid, it's so real, it pops off the page like in 3D at you. And so if one person says, look at this, and says, oh, I see a T-Rex in that picture. And the other person is like, all I see is color and chaos. And like, how, how do you know there's a T-Rex? 
And you said, because I see it. And because I've seen it, you can't tell me otherwise that it's not there. Because I have perceived the reality of it. The same thing is true for creation, for our universe. Some people look at creation, look at the universe, and all they see is color and chaos. But for those who are able to look more deeply, they see the fingerprints of God, the creator, on every single piece of it. And that becomes evidence for our faith because we get to experience God's power in his creation. Or, you've, or maybe some of you, you've experienced God's power in your own life. Right? He has done some things in your life, in your family, in your experience, and you know God exists because you have had a first-hand encounter with perceiving the power of God at work. Faith walks because we, ha- we see the existence of God's power in our lives and in our world. So, how has your experience of God's power changed the way you live right? it's fine to see it and that's great but if it's truly faith not only are we going to see it we're going to respond to it and we're going to change the way we live we're going to walk different because I've seen the handiwork of God I've seen his power at work in my life and in my world and that changes how I live I can't help but change how I live when that revelation becomes clear So faith walks in light of God's power is the first thing. The second thing, I'm sorry, the third point this morning, faith walks in light of God's goodness. In light of God's goodness. Now we're going to go back to verse 1 and look at that other word, assurance. That first word there in verse 1. Again, if we're translating this from the Greek, a better translation would probably be something like substance or reality. Because the, the, the heart of this Greek phrase is talking about something that is tangible. Something that you can touch or feel or see. Again, assurance feels like it's just kind of like, a, like an emotion, right? Like, I'm, I, I, I just, I, I'm sure. I'm just, I have assurance that this is true. That's not what it's really talking about. It's talking about something that's tangibly there, that you can feel, touch, see, a substance or a reality that you can experience. And so he says it's the substance of things hoped for. That, that God and his promises, the things that... All of us as followers of Christ, if you say you have faith, that is what we're hoping for, right? That one day we will see God face to face. One day we will get to experience all of his promises fulfilled in our lives. That he will do everything he said he was going to do. That's what we're hoping for. And he says the substance of things hoped for is faith. Now notice here, hoped for is future tense, right? So it's something that hasn't happened yet. Something that's still in the future, still coming. We see it. We believe it's going to happen because God said it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. We're waiting for it to come true, right? And he illustrates this with verse 2. So look at verse 2 now. He says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. Now the people of old here are the Old Testament saints, those people throughout the Old Testament who followed God and who had faith in God, and he's going to actually give us a long list of them and with specific detail in the rest of the chapter. In fact, the rest of our series is going to be looking at each one of these heroes of faith 
and seeing what it was about their life that we can learn from and emulate in our faith. But it starts here, and he says, these people of old, these Old Testament saints, and he uses them as an example of hope in God and in his promise of future salvation. See, this is an important thing to understand about the Old Testament. This is why I think some New Testament Christians today, they want to write off the Old Testament because they don't understand how it ties together. But here's the deal. The Old Testament saints, they were saved from their sin. They were saved for salvation, for, for eternity, the same exact way that we're saved. The animal sacrifices they did in the temple and all that stuff that they did, that was just a placeholder. That was just like a rain check until the real sacrifice came, right? It was just something that they were doing to bide time until finally the one that they hoped for in the future, right? You see the tie here? That they were hoping that one day the Messiah would come and would die for their sins and would be the ultimate sacrifice that would make them forgiven and right with God the Father. And so they were saved by their faith, by their hope for this Messiah that was going to one day come and save them. Just like we today are saved by our hope and our faith in the Messiah who has already come in the past. Their faith looked forward, our faith looks back. But it's the same faith with the same Savior who bears our sin. That's the heart of the gospel. We understand that every one of us, every human that's ever walked this earth outside of Jesus himself, is a sinner, that we have sinful hearts that lead us to do sinful things and sinful desires, and, and in that sinful heart, we rebel against God, we disobey his word, and we separate ourselves from a holy and perfect God. And God should give us wrath and punishment and hell, But out of his goodness, out of his love for us, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then go to the cross and die a sinner's death in our place for our sin. He was a substitute. He was the lamb that was slain so he could pay for our sin forever. And then three days later, he rose back to life, proving that he was God, that he had conquered sin and death, and bringing eternal life to everyone who will believe, who will have faith in him, and follow him as their Lord and Savior. It all comes back to the same thing. And so we likewise put our faith in Jesus, just like they put their faith in the coming Messiah. They looked forward, we looked back, but both are necessary for salvation. So when he says it's the substance of things hoped for, and he says the Old Testament saints, these these Old Testament believers, that they received their commendation. Which is interesting because hoped for is future tense, right? But received is past tense. Meaning that whatever this commendation is, that they received it in their lifetime. Even though Jesus hadn't come yet, even they were still hoping for the future, even though their faith was looking beyond this life, They received their commendation in this life. In other words, they received the substance of it, the reality of it, at least in part, here and now. They experienced the goodness of God and a relationship with him in this life, 
even though they were still hoping for what was yet to come. The same thing applies for us. That our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ, we get to experience part of that goodness now. Right? He walks with us. He gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He helps us weather through the storms of life. We get to experience part of that substance of the goodness of God in this life now, but we're also still waiting to experience the fullness of God's goodness one day in the future, and that is where our hope is set. But we get a taste right now. Faith is the substance, the experience of God's goodness now while we wait for the future to be revealed and our hope to be made full. That's the heart of faith. How has your experience of God's goodness changed the way you live? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've already taken that step to believe in Christ and be saved, through his sacrifice, then you have already tasted of his goodness. Hopefully you are continually tasting of the goodness of God as you're walking with him. You're seeing it, you're perceiving it, you're experiencing it. And if that's true for your life, how has that changed you? How has that changed the way you walk and live? How has that changed the way you respond to who God is? To walk in faith is to experience substance of God's goodness now. And it changes how I walk. To step deeper into faith, I need a higher view of God. Throughout the series, we're going to look for that higher view of God. We're going to look at new aspects and new nuances and facets of who he is so that we can grow deeper in our faith just like these old testament saints as they followed after him but today we're just starting with the basics we're just going to start where hebrews starts so we're going to start at the beginning in the facets and in the parts of god's character that he laid out most clearly from the beginning of time and still proves true today that he is real that he is powerful and that he is good If you can get that, that is a rock-solid foundation to grow in your faith. God is real, God is powerful, and God is good. And we see all three of those things most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's power on display to save sinners and his goodness to call us to himself in grace. And so today I want us just to... Just to respond. Just take a moment in our hearts to respond to God's power and specifically his goodness to us and to ponder how that's changing the way we live on a daily basis as we walk in faith with him. Stand with me. Let's pray. Let's sing. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today. We thank you, God, so much for your presence with us this morning as we come in your house to worship again with your people, Lord, is so wonderful every Sunday, Lord. And we thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us. Lord, for opening that door and giving us that gift of faith so that we might see your power on display 
in your glorious creation all around us and that we might see your goodness overflowing to us in the sacrifice of your son. Lord, help us to walk. Help us to walk in faith with you, growing deeper with you in the goodness of our God. Pray all this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ.